Children, you may be dismissed for young disciples. Kids grades K through 6 can go down the hall and uh, meet with our children's director. If you're new here today and your kids want to go down to Young Disciples, our children's church, go ahead, walk down with them, meet our children's pastor, Pastor Spring, and then find out where they're going so you can see what's going on, then come on back and join us. We won't give you a dirty look when you walk back into service. And uh, so go ahead now with them so you can know where they're headed and what they're doing. If you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit of a story this morning. I, I have a problem when I get surprised by information, something that I'm not expecting, and when I get called to a moment where I have to make a decision point that I haven't thought about previously, I sometimes react like a complete idiot. I want to share one of those uh, responses with you today. About eight, nine years ago, I was on my, my second date ever with my now lovely, beautiful wife, Gina. We were on our, our second date, and we had gone back to where I was living. We were watching a movie, and it was the night where I thought, oh, great, I'm going to hold this girl's hand. <laughs> so I reached over, and I grabbed her hand about halfway through the movie. We snuggled in close, enjoyed a little cuddle time during the movie, and I thought, yeah, I'm smooth. So we're done with the movie, and she's about to leave, and she turns, and she looks at me, and she goes, well, I think we should probably talk. And I went, (laughs) see, I had not expected that response. I thought we would just let it sort of play out a little bit, see what happened. I didn't want to move too fast. I was a young adult pastor at the time. I had seen people move too fast. Uh, By date three, they're engaged. You know how young adults can be. And so I looked at her, not expecting that tonight was the night we were going to have the talk, and I said stupidly, "Uh, I just want to have fun. (laughs) She said, fun? I can have fun with my girlfriends. What am I doing here with you? And I saw for the first time that beautiful Italian anger that I've seen a few times since. Uh... I wasn't ready. I responded poorly. Uh, What I really should have said is, uh, you know what, I I just want to see where this goes. I'm excited to be with you. I I think you're beautiful, but uh, I I, I don't know if I'm ready to just declare that, you know, I was just scared. And so she got me back. A few weeks later, I did ask her if she'd like to go out with me exclusively. She said, let me get back to you. (laughs) And she didn't call for a week. A week. I thought, I really ruined it with this girl, but it ended up working out. Isn't it funny how we sometimes get surprised by things and our responses can just be so different? Well, I want to talk today about the responses of three different groups or individuals in regards to the resurrection. How did they take this declaration that Jesus had risen from the dead? What did they do with it? Did they respond well or did they respond poorly? Did they, did they have the opportunity to think and then respond appropriately? Or did they just say, uh, uh. That's what we want to look at today. And we're going to look at it in the book of Acts. Three responses to the resurrection. The first response to the resurrection is that Peter, the apostle Peter, you know, pearly gates Peter, preached. 
That was his response to the resurrection. What we're going to look at today primarily is the first sermon that was ever preached after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to see how people responded to that sermon and through that sermon. And today we're going to start with the response of Peter. Peter preached. Look down in Acts chapter 2 if you have it, verse 22. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen. No big deal. Peter speaking to a group, a large group, thousands upon thousands in the city of Jerusalem on the day that's called Pentecost, which is a huge festival of the Jews. He said in verse 22, you who are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now, what comes next is a pretty long prophecy, but thankfully, a few verses down, Peter's going to give us the Reader's Digest version of those prophecies. So skip down with me to verse 29 now, as we continue the sermon from Peter. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The final verse of Peter's sermon. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So that's pretty much the first or, or, or bits of the first sermon after the resurrection. Now there's some other things in there that we skipped over today, but I just want to focus in on the message that he was giving about Jesus. The first question I want to ask of this text is, why is Peter preaching? This is an important question for us to ask. Why is Peter preaching. Now, to those of you who have been in church, who have hung around for a little bit, that's not a surprise to you that Peter's preaching. This is the Apostle Peter. This is Jesus's lead disciple, perhaps Jesus's best friend. This is the one who went and preached in Jerusalem and then Antioch and Ephesus and Rome. This is one of the fathers of the church. Of course he's preaching. But at this point in history, he really wasn't much of that. At this point in his life's history, he was just a fisherman. Someone who had spent a few years with Jesus, but not a preacher. He wasn't trained in Greek rhetoric. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't go to a liberal arts college. He was a fisherman from Galilee, which is in the northern part of the land of Israel. Jerusalem is in the southern part. And he's preaching in Jerusalem to a crowd who would have marked him as a Galilean, meaning they would have looked down on him a little bit as sort of their little brother in the faith. And he's preaching to a crowd of thousands. 
Why is Peter preaching? This makes no sense. Now, I know for us today, everybody's preaching something. Everybody with a Facebook or a Twitter account preaches to some level. They let you know what's important to them, what should be important to you, what should be important to the three people who actually read their thread. They let you know what they think you should know. But back in this day, not everybody was preaching. People didn't aspire to preach. You had to be trained. You had to be smart. You had to be wise. You had to have eloquence to be able to preach in this day. Galilean fishermen didn't stand up in Jerusalem and preach. It just didn't happen. So why is Peter preaching? Well, he saw something that had changed everything. He was preaching because he saw something that had changed everything. He had seen the risen Christ. He could not help but preach. The Holy Spirit of God had come upon him, and it was time to declare who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what it meant for every human being. It was such an unlikely event that Peter was preaching that day because Jerusalem was a dangerous place. If you just follow the history of Peter and the disciples in those days previous, remember Peter was the one who had denied Jesus three times because he was afraid that he might have to pay with his life for being an associate of Jesus. All the disciples had fled from Jesus when he was arrested before his crucifixion. They were hiding in an upper room for fear that they would be taken to and crucified along with Jesus. And then, as I already mentioned, these were Galileans. They had no business being in Jerusalem. Jesus had done the majority of his ministry in the northern part of the country. That's where the followers of Jesus were. That's where, if he was going to be preaching, he should have preached this message. But instead, here he is in Jerusalem, one of the great cities of the world, proclaiming something that is incredible, that someone has risen from the dead. He didn't belong there. He didn't belong there in terms of the geography, and he certainly didn't belong there in terms of his personal history, but yet here he is birthing the church of Jesus Christ. What was his message? His message was simple from Acts chapter 2. Jesus died here in Jerusalem because God wanted him to. He says, by the definite plan of foreknowledge of God, Jesus died here in Jerusalem just days ago. Now, we know the theology. You've heard it for perhaps most of your life. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, because someone had to pay the penalty for humanity's sin. And the only one worthy to do that was one who was without sin, one who was spotless, one who was the second Adam and did things the right way all the way through their life. Only that sacrifice was going to cover over human sin. A bull or a lamb or a goat, that sacrifice was not going to do for the wrongs that we have done as a race. But the sacrifice of the very sinless Son of God would. That was the first part of the message. The second part of Peter's message was the grave is empty. He says here in in Acts that death could not keep its hold on Jesus. The Bible tells us that the reason that we die is because we're sinful and we have a fallen nature. That sin, when it entered the world, also ensured our death. But Jesus, because he had no sin, could not be held in death. The grave could not hold him. So the grave is empty was Peter's message. So by the definite plan of God, he died on the cross to overcome our sins. By the power of God and because of Jesus' sinlessness, sinlessness, death could not hold him. Now he gives the corroborating evidence, David. 
the greatest king of the Jews, the one to whom God had promised there will be a descendant on the throne forever from your line. That was David. Peter says, you know what, confidently I can tell you that David, he's dead, he's buried, his tomb's with us to this day. But David saw this in advance. He saw that his descendant, the king, would not be left to Hades. His flesh would not experience corruption, but he would be raised eternal. And more than anything else that he says on that day, the thing that has changed everything, that that the reason that Peter is preaching, the reason that he's responding this way, he says, and we're all witnesses to that. We saw him alive. Over and over and over again, we saw him alive. It is beyond doubt that we saw him alive. We have to testify to it. It's Jesus. He is risen from the dead. We can't help but testify to this. There is no reason for them to have testified to this in in, in any way unless it was true. Because we know that they were scared, they were terrified. They should have just gone back to Galilee, become fishermen and tax collectors and all the rest again. They should have gone back to their old jobs if Jesus was still dead. But they didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem, a foreign city, because Jesus had told them to. And they began to declare the message that Jesus was risen from the dead right in the very place where someone could have come to them and said, he didn't raise from the dead, you stole his body. Yet that's where they choose to preach the message. Now, if I was fabricating a guy rising from the dead and I was starting a religion based on that, I would probably go to the place where people liked him the most, not where people had just crucified him. But they didn't go back to Galilee. They stayed in Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified. There had to be some truth to their message. Otherwise, the crowds would have gone, he stole his body, you jerks. We're out of here. But they didn't. We know that the church of Jesus Christ was birthed right there in Jerusalem. The final part to Peter's message is this, listen. Jesus has ascended to his Father's right hand. He's directing things from heaven. And until he returns, it's our job to continue his work which is to bring people under the headship of God and allow fallen humanity to have their sins erased and start to live for God. Why was Peter preaching? Why did he respond this way? It was because he had seen the resurrection. Put aside the miracles. Put aside the great teaching of Jesus. When you see somebody raised from the dead, you hitch your wagon to that train. And that's what Peter was doing that day. And that's how Peter responded. Let's look at the second response. How did the crowd respond? Look down in your Bibles at verse 37. Now, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified to them with many other arguments, and he exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed the message were baptized. And about that day, 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. What was the response of the crowd? They were cut. To the heart. 
they believed Peter's last line, that this Jesus, whom was cru- who was crucified right there in Jerusalem days earlier, that Jesus truly was the Son of God. He truly was the Messiah, which means the anointed one, the, God, the one whom God has sent to make all things right with humanity. That's Jesus. And we believe it. Why? Because they believed in the resurrection. Now, what do 3,000 people in that crowd in Jerusalem that day, what business do they have believing in the resurrection of a man? That's just silly. That's outrageous. How could they believe in this? They knew that Jesus had been crucified. How could they believe in the resurrection? They were right there where it had happened. How could they believe in it? I want to tell you, Christianity would have stopped in that moment if the resurrection was not historical fact. But for 3,000 people in the crowd that day, the resurrection was plausible. It was plausible. They'd heard the rumors. Perhaps they'd seen him themselves. They believed that Jesus was alive again. How could they have dispensed with their disbelief unless it was plausible that it was true. Unless someone that they knew or someone that they trusted or someone within the city said, uh, Jesus is walking around and he's preaching, talking, teaching. It's Jesus. He's got the marks in his hands and his feet. It's Jesus. He's alive again. You don't, you don't respond to this message. Listen, folks, you don't respond to this message unless the resurrection is plausible. Look down at verse 42, what they did. It says, these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. In that moment, they responded to the resurrection and then said, we're going to hitch our wagons to this train. It's believable. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. We believe it. You don't do that unless it's plausible. You simply don't do that unless it's plausible. They were in Jerusalem where all these events had happened. And they were baptized in that moment. Think about that. Do you know what baptism is? That's the idea that right in this moment they said, yes, yes, we will sign up for this religion of this Jesus Christ fella. Yes, I will join you down at the river and allow you to dunk me under the water. Anybody want to do that today? We'll head down to this creek. It's a little bit muddy, a little bit cold, but we'll do it, right? I mean, think about this response that took place that day. This is incredible. 3,000 people sign up to become Christians in this moment because the resurrection was certainly plausible. When confronted with the news of the resurrection, they believed That was their response. They allowed themselves to be baptized, to say, my old life is done, my new life has begun, and now I will listen to what the apostles have to say about how I should lead my life from this point forward. It's an incredible story. And beyond anything else this morning, if you don't leave with with anything else about the historical fact that is here in the Bible, I want to encourage you. The The resurrection was fully believed among the disciples because they'd seen him alive again. And for the people in Jerusalem, just days after the death of Christ, the resurrection was plausible. They could believe it. 
Let's talk about the third response today. The third response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the question that I have for you. What's your response? How should you respond to the resurrection? I want to encourage you today that this story is not some fairy tale. It is not some melodrama. The story of Christ Jesus and what he did on this earth is God's power displayed to save fallen humanity. That's what this is. This isn't some good story. It's not just some tale that was told. 2.2 billion people today around the world affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They say, yes, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe that he is the Lord, the Master, God's Son. I believe that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who's come to make me right with God. That's what happens to people who, when confronted by the resurrection, respond in the right way. Peter tells us what we should do. Remember, he, it says the crowd was cut to the heart, and they looked to Peter, they looked at the disciples, they said, guys, okay, we get it, Jesus, he, he's, he's the Messiah, he's the Lord, we believe. What do we do now? What does Peter tell them? He says, listen, first thing, repent. 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 Now, for those of you who don't really like church all that much and you're here today and you hear that word repent and you remember some bad church experience from when you were 12 and you're thinking to yourself, oh, there it is, those Christians and that problem, that repent word, that sin idea. But repent is one of the most freeing words in the history of language. Because what repent really means is, is that human beings look at the way that they've been conducting their lives and go, you know what, God? I'm ready for something new. I've been doing it this way for so long, and I've been going along this path for so long, and I'm ready to turn and go and do something new with you, God. Repent simply means to turn. In the Greek, it means to change one's mind, to turn and to change one's mind, to take your life in the way that you live it and decide to do it differently with the help of God. That's what repent means. The problem for so many Americans is when they come across the word repent, it's also right there with sins. And that's where it is here in Acts chapter 2. Repent of your sins. And we think about sins in terms of killing people and stealing from people and, and, and doing huge wrongs. And for most people in America today, they just operate under the assumption that they're a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. Why would I need to repent of my sins? I stole some stuff once, but that wasn't such a big deal. I don't do that anymore. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. Ask the people around me. But sin has so much more to do with just not the things that you're not supposed to do. Sin is about a lifestyle that says, God, I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to intentionally forget that you created me with a purpose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. I'm going to intentionally forget that you created me with a purpose and I'm going to go ahead and live my life as I see fit and pretend you're not real. And perhaps one day, right before I die, I'll say a prayer and maybe that will help me get into heaven. That's where so many of us are at. Repent means to change your mind now, to turn your lifestyle away now. You might say, Matt, I'm not all that sinful. I'm a nice person. You know what Peter says to that? 
Save yourself from this corrupt generation. We live in that generation. You know what's corrupt about it? The corruption of our generation is that we lose everything that we were created to be. To pursue a little money, a little comfort, a little diversion, hours upon hours of television, and then we die. That's corrupt. The thing that we are told all of us want is corrupt. To just live our lives, to make some money, have a little bit of fun, and then die having made no difference. That is sin. It's corrupt. God designed you for so much more than that. To repent of your sin is to say to God, God, I... I don't know that I've broken the Ten Commandments 9,000 times. I don't know that I've ever murdered anybody. I'm not a jerk. I don't think I'm a jerk, but I, I recognize, you know, there are some wrongs that I've done. And I've, I've been pursuing just things to make me happy rather than doing anything to change this world for the better. Repenting is saying, God, I confess my sin of buying into this corruption that my life doesn't matter and I could just watch TV and make some money and take a few vacays and call it a life. I repent of that attitude right now. Some folks would never allow themselves to be cut to the heart in this way because no one gets to tell them how to live. No one gets to explain to them what is right. And if God himself knocked at their heart's door, they would run to the basement and pretend like they're not home until God left. And I want to encourage you today, see a reason for a change. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that you, are, you, you, you individual, are God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You can't do that if you look at God and say, God, I'm a good person, I'm all right. These people that day repented because they were overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus was the Lord. They were not. And I encourage you today, Jesus is the Lord and you are not. When you make him the Lord and allow him to become the Lord of your life, then you have the opportunity to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Some of you today, God is knocking at your heart's door and the biggest objection you have is not that you could do better with your life, but church is full of hypocrites. True. You heard it from the pastor. There's a lot of people in churches who talk a good game and act like they have it all together who cares about them? What if God's speaking to you today, knocking at your heart's door, saying today is the day to allow Jesus to become Lord of your life because I have work for you to do in this world? Will you listen and let that nonsense roll out your ears about I'm a good person, I'm all right, I don't need anybody to help me. Tristan or hypocrites, blah, 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 blah. Stop. What if God's speaking to you today? Who cares about the person sitting next to you? 
The second thing he says to the crowd today and he says to you today is be baptized. This is where many of you have stopped in your relationship with God. You like the idea of Jesus. You might have even gone to youth camp when you were 14 and cried in the altar like a baby about all the things you'd ever done wrong. Everybody you gossiped about, that kid you hit with the jelly bean at lunch, all the nasty stuff that you had done until you were 14. But you haven't been baptized. You haven't declared your allegiance to the risen Christ. You haven't said for a group of people to see, I belong to the Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to engage in this baptism. I'm going to allow some preacher to dunk me to signify that my sins are washed away and I'm being made new and my new life is beginning today. Can you imagine responding in that way? We're so reserved as Americans. Most of you don't even dance. We don't like anybody to see us do anything that anybody would think is weird. But I want to tell you today, some of you need to declare who you live for. You've been flitting around this church stuff for way too long. Like a butterfly, in and out of church, in and out of church, in and out of Jesus. I like this. I, oh. And you never, ever declare anything about who you are and who you live for. You just don't. In and out of church, in and out of experiences, oh, I like the choir song. What is this? Some of you today need to declare where you stand, and that is under the authority of Christ Jesus. Stop flitting around the church like a butterfly. And start serving the Lord who gave you life and breath. And say that your repentance and the turning of your life is real. And you're going to serve him all your days. You will not be sad that you did. The final thing that Peter says to the crowd and he says to us today is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a gift for you and your children and for all who are near and far off. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That you don't just repent and say, God, I'm done with the lifestyle I've been living. You don't just declare through baptism who you serve now. One more great and incredible thing happens. You have access now for God personally through his Holy Spirit to direct your life, to help you come into all of the things that God created you to do, to look at you when you're wasting your life on silly things and go, you should stop that. That's a road you don't want to go down. And to whisper in your ear, hey, go and do that. It's going to change somebody's life forever. You know, so many Americans say they have a spiritual side and they want to tap into it. But at the same time, for so many of us, it's fleeting and it's elusive because we're not repentant. We've not declared our allegiance to Christ. We're people who don't know where our spiritual side comes from because we don't know who it belongs to. And I want to tell you where your spiritual side comes from. It comes from God. He put it in you at creation so that you would seek him out and want a relationship with him because he has things for you to do in this life. That's why you have a spiritual side. And you can meditate and you can yoga and you can watch movies that make you cry, but you'll never tap in to your spiritual side unless you recognize who it belongs to and why you have it. You have it because your Father God put it in your spirit to help you connect with the Lordship of his Son that you might do the things on this earth with God, which God prepared for you to do. That's why you have a spiritual side, and that's why he says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow God to begin to take control of your life. You know what happens when people say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to 
sir, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be filled with your Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the weight drops off. You're saying, what, what do you mean? You get fit? No, no. The weight drops off. The weight of who am I? What am I doing here? Why am I even around? It drops off. And something floods into our spirit that affirms exactly what we're here for and what we are to do. Some of you who have grown up in church, you've never experienced this. You know a few good Bible stories and you've been on a few good experiences, but you've never gotten to the point where you've really repented of your sins, really said to God, I'll be baptized and declare my allegiance to Christ, really ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and direct your life. And I want to tell you, there is a moment for each one of us as we come into a full recognition of who Christ is and what he has done, that God wants to dynamically enter our lives and change them forever. And and if you're not there, it's not nothing to feel bad about. It's nothing to, to, to be overly concerned about, but it is something today that you need to respond to. Something to respond to today. Don't allow yourself to go through this life doing nothing but making some money and having some fun and going on a few vacays and decorating your house and your yard and dying, not knowing that there's a God all along who wanted to say to you, listen, my son, my daughter, come and join my family. We have stuff to accomplish. We have stuff to accomplish. I conclude to you today that I implore you to save yourself from this corrupt generation. Jesus Christ is Lord and Messiah. He's Lord, which means he's the one who you should give your allegiance to. When this world ends, he's going to be the one standing. And he's going to be the one who we give an account to. Do you want to look at Jesus when he says to you, what did you do with your gift of life? And do you want to look back at him and say, I just wanted to have fun. I just, I just wanted to have fun. The Lord Messiah is not going to appreciate that answer. He has given you such a gift with your life, such a gift to be used for him. And guess what? The Bible tells us in John 10.10 10, that that's the most fun when you begin to tap into who God created you to be, that's the most fun that you could ever have in this life. Abundant life is what Jesus calls it. Life to the fullest. When you submit to him and allow him to work through you. I I might have to change some of the things I do. Who cares? God is trying to knock at your heart's door and has given you an opportunity for your life to have meaning, that when you stand in eternity, you can say, I did what God called me to do with the life that I was given. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You know what Jesus does in lives that are turned over to him? He takes them from the dirt and the muck and the yuck that everybody's living in, 
and he raises them to new life. And I don't know what your dirt and your muck and your yuck are. I don't know what it is that is holding you down and keeping you from becoming the person that God intended you to be. But the offer from Jesus stands today. He was raised first so that you could be raised after him. He wants to bring you into new life and allow you to live the life that God always intended for you to live. He's calling your name today. How will you respond? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place today because I believe in the next few moments that a few people here have business that they need to do with God. It's personal today. On the day that they're baptized, it's public. But today it's for them and God. If you're in this place today and you know that you know that you know that God's knocking on your heart's door, and it's with one of these responses, either one, today is the day I repent. It's time for me to turn my life over to God. I'm ready to do that today and admit that the way I've been living to this point ain't working. Or perhaps today you need to say, Pastor Matt, I'm just going to say today, I'm going to be baptized. It's time for me to declare who I serve today. Or perhaps the third, and I believe this is a place where many of you are at today, you repented once and you've been baptized but the concept of the Holy Spirit leading and directing your life is so foreign. You've, do, you've just dove right back into the corrupt generation which you pulled yourself out of years ago. I encourage you today, don't stay there. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow God to reassert control in your life. He's calling your name. Don't look at God someday and say, I just want to have, have fun. That's what I was there for. That's not why God put you here. Before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, he saw you. He saw your unformed body when it was in the depths of the earth. Every one of your days was numbered in his book. How great are the works of the Lord. If today you need to respond to one of these calls, you say, Pastor Matt, right now I'm going to do this. I'm going to repent, or I'm going to declare my allegiance, or I need to say, Jesus, you have control again. Holy Spirit, would you come back into my life and guide me once more? Stand right where you are right now. doesn't matter who's next to you. Stand right where you are right now. There's more of you. right where you are right now. It's between you and God. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are right now. Jesus, today I repent. Jesus, today I declare my allegiance. Jesus, today fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want new life. New life. New life. There's more of you. There's lots of people standing here today, but there's more. And I'm going to wait. God's knocking at your heart's door. 
Amen. That's right. There's more of you. That's right. Amen. That's right. Amen. There's more of you. God is knocking at your heart's door. This is not just an emotional response today. God is trying to get a hold of you. There's more of you. Who cares who you're sitting next to? They might need you to stand. They feel you move. Blessings to them. Amen. Amen. today. I'd still like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. I'm going to pray over you today. And then in a moment, we're going to sing a song to, to sort of end our service, but I'm going to invite the elders of this church to come and stand with me up in this uh, stage area. And I'm going to invite some of their wives, if you want to come this morning as well too, I'm going to invite you right now, come on, to come and stand right here. And when we're done praying, if you need somebody to pray over you because you want this to, you want this to stick, you want this to go, I'm going to encourage you to come and pray with one of these people. They'd love to talk to you about how to spend your life from this point forward. I'm going to ask you to do something with me right now in this moment. Everybody who's left in this place who's not standing, it's going to be dangerous, but do it with me. I want you to keep your eyes closed and I want you to stand right where you're at in solidarity with these. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are calling our name. We declare to you today that we are turning. We declare to you today that this is the day of our salvation. We declare to you today, Lord Jesus, that we want you to have direction over our lives. And we declare to you today, Lord Jesus, that today is a day for new birth. I'm going to ask everybody in this place to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I declare to you that I believe that you are the Lord, that you are Messiah that I should follow you. I will follow you. I will serve you. I will have abundant life. I will be made new. Thank you for that promise. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and allow me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There have been people who have been added to the family of God in this place today. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? <laughs> Folks, these people are here, and they're going to be singing the song along with you. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time, this is what I'm going to invite you to do. You just come up once the song starts, and you pick one of them and say, hey, you. I need prayer today, okay? There'll be too many people singing too loud to even notice what you're doing, so don't worry about that, all right? 
And I'm going to invite our elder couples, go ahead and grab if anybody comes to pray with you and take them out into room 305 and pray with them, talk to them about the decision that they've made today. I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, these people are safe, you'll like them, they won't scare you. They're here to encourage you and talk to you about what to do next in this relationship with God. Be bold today. Come and say something to them. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to join us in one more song today to just thank Jesus for what he has done and what he's going to do in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for who you are, for what you're doing. We thank you today that you have power to change our lives. We pray that you will lift the people who have prayed today out of the muck and the mire and the yuck that they've been living in and give them new life in Jesus' name. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them in power so that the things that they could not accomplish on their own would now be accomplished through you. We thank you, God, that you have the power to resurrect each and every one of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing and worship the Lord.